Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there. Welcome along to this special episode of the High Performance Podcast with myself, Jake Humphrey and Professor Damien Hughes. First of all, we just want to say um, what a remarkable response we've had to the first series, not just in the UK, where we both live, but also around the world. So thank you to all of you, whatever country you're in, um, whichever episode you've listened to. Thank you for making the first series um bigger than we ever imagined i also want to say a big thanks to lotus cars they agreed to come on board as the sponsors for this first series they've been there every step of the way they've been really helpful and we believe they're a genuine high performance brand and it was great to have them with us so thank you very much to lotus as well and at the end of this podcast you can always head online and check out lotuscars.com or find them right across social media uh damien's alongside me for this one uh damien we're not together because of um the various covid19 restrictions but it's going to be good isn't it just to hear back some of the things that we've recorded over the last few months i'm really looking forward to it jake i think uh, it's been a it's been a real privilege to be involved in this series so uh it's been uh, equally pleasurable just to sit and reflect on on the interviews that we've done. Right, looking forward to this. Uh, let's get into it then, Damien. Um, what's the first clip that you want to you want to discuss and listen to again? Well, the first clip is one that I think um, seemed to resonate massively over over social media and beyond. It's uh, it was our interview with Robin Van Persie, where he very generously shared some of his own parenting insights into uh, high performance messages that he gave his fourteen year old son Shaquille. So my son uh, plays at Feyenoord. He played against uh, um, Ajax under 14. He was on the bench. He didn't play. So uh, in the car on the way back, he was like a bit moody, disappointed, complaining a little bit about uh, others, about the coach, etc. And then I said, yeah, I said, but Shaquille, I said, you sound like a loser, you know, if you talk like this in a way, you sound like you lost. I said, you are blaming him, you're blaming her, you're blaming this, you're blaming everything. I said, but I don't hear one single thing about yourself. I said, winners, I said, they take control and they blame themselves and they look where they can improve. Yeah. And this is what you should be thinking about. So I didn't tell him uh, what he should think about. You should ask yourself the question, are you a loser or are you a winner? I said, for me, it doesn't matter. I said, I said, because I'm your dad. The only job I have and uh, your mom has is when you're 20, that you're a good boy, that you're ready for life. You know, you can make your mistakes. You can do what you want. I, I love you for the same amount. It doesn't matter for me if you make it as a football player or not. I said, but you say that this, that this is your passion. So 
you should take control of your life and stop complaining because it sounds like a loser. I said, then I don't mind. If you want to be a loser, be a loser. I still love you as much. <laughs> I said, I said, it doesn't matter for me. I said, but if you want to be a winner, take control of your life and stop complaining about others. And then I watched him train the next morning. My, my, my wife said, where are you going? I said, I will, I'm going to watch this session. Uh, two days later, actually, because they played on Saturday and Monday morning. So I'm there sitting, cold, hoodie on. I'm, I'm looking and I see this tiger training, running, working. And I was like, ah, okay, okay. He realized he has to take control of his life. He's 13 now. Why do you think that that resonated so strongly with people, Damien? I think that there's an awful lot of people that are parents that are listening to this that can really empathise in terms of trying to motivate teenage kids to engage, to stop blaming others and to actually take accountability. So I think it resonated because because a lot of people got a lot of warmth from the fact that, you know, however successful the parents are, they're still trying to deal with some of the same challenges as anybody else. So I think that was true, but I just think that idea of accountability and stop moaning and take accountability for yourself is it is is such a powerful theme um, across any uh, individual team, organisation, or family. One of the things that we've tried really hard to do with our kids, and ours are younger than yours, they're only seven and four, is not to be one of those helicopter parents always hovering over your child all the time, you know, giving them that bit of space. And and I see all the time parents making sure their child fails at nothing. And obviously all you do then is prepare them for the biggest failure of all when they hit 18 or 19 or 21. And for the first time ever, they go for a job interview and get told, sorry, you haven't got the job. And they cannot cope with it because the one thing they've not been given is that resilience. And I think that if there's one thing that Robin's son will be is resilient from that kind of parenting and I think it's perfect. Yeah, it really taps into it. Um, there's a movement in education at the moment uh, led by the work of a psychologist called Carol Dweck and it's very much around teaching kids that very thing that you've just described, Jake. It's it's the idea of developing a growth mindset. Now, a growth mindset teaches kids that struggle makes you smarter. So the harder you work at something, the better you will naturally be. On the flip side of it, a fixed mindset is the idea that you just believe you've got a certain amount of talent and whatever you do, there's not an awful lot you can do to to grow and manifest that talent. So what Robin's saying there and the point that you're making is the fact that you've got to let kids struggle, you've got to let them make mistakes, you've got to let them learn because only through that way do they become smarter and able to be more resilient and adapt to changes. And it was interesting that lots of the people that we had on the podcast actually spoke about parenting, didn't they? You know, Tom Daly, who is a diver, spoke about parenting. Ant Middleton, who's in the military, spoke about parenting. Rhea Ferdinand did it. Uh, Sean Dyche did it as well. Dylan Hartley. Let's listen to just a couple of the clips and then we will talk about why every single time someone on the pod spoke about parenting, it kind of hit home with people that were listening. You know, look, I think we've become a nation of lazy parenting um, when something won't go right at school and it's come back, but it's not your fault, it's their fault. It's, you know, we don't spend enough time with our children. We don't spend enough time pushing them and forcing them into stuff. You know, I force my children to do stuff whether they like it or not. And I'm, I'm only forcing them through love and through personal development. I'm, there's nothing malicious in it. There's nothing negative in it. I'm forcing. I know you don't want to do that, son, but you're going to do it. 
bosh, you know, whether, whether I push him into climbing a ladder, whether, and then he gets to the top of the ladder, and he's like, well, it's not that bad, is it? But if I didn't have forced you to do that, you wouldn't know what you're capable of. And swimming, you know, so my son was like, just pushed him into the, into, the, uh, into the shallow end, you know, knowing that my wife's that side. And, you know, and he's like, no, 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 boom, boom. Well, actually, and then I jumped in there and held him in the water. I'm like, it's not that bad, is it, son? I can't get him out of the water now. I mean, now... I mean, I'm married, I've got a kid, so that takes a lot of that away. Yeah. Like, I can actually, for the first time ever, leave my diving at the pool. Like, I've never been able to do that before. But when you have a kid, you don't have a choice. You, don't, you can't be thinking about what you're going to be doing tomorrow in the pool. You're not, you have to be thinking about what's going to be going on with Robbie today. Like, what is he doing? Is he... It's good for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So that was at Middleton and then Tom Daly talking about parenting. Um, please, if you haven't already, feel free to go back and listen to the rest of the series to see what the other guests had to say about it. And for me, Damien, it was really important that we had these kinds of conversations because right from the very beginning, I didn't want the High Performance Podcast to be about sport. I wanted it to be about life. And I think that that was the great thing is that sometimes we sat, for example, with Sean Dyche, the Burnley manager. We didn't talk about football, really, for the entire time we were with him, did we? No, and I think that surprised him, didn't it? I think at the end of our conversation, he, he sort of acknowledged that we'd sat for 90 minutes and we hadn't discussed tactics or formations or anything like that. But I think it definitely fits with, when we'd spoken before we started the series, I think you wanted to get this idea that 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 these were general rules for life that people could take away and understand. And that phrase you used repeatedly, Jake, that, that there's no secret to this kind of stuff. It's as applicable to parents as it is to elite sports performers, as it is to people building businesses. The mentality and the principles are consistent. And do you think high achieving people make better parents or do they make as many mistakes as you or I make? I think this was really interesting, wasn't it? That um, what, like when I was reflecting on this, I, I think their circle of competence is that they know what they know, but equally they know what they don't know. And, it was interesting that in our conversations, I remember Dylan Hartley, for example, asking us for our opinion. So I don't think that they claim to have the answers. I think they're struggling as much as we are. Okay, here's another life lesson then. Robin Van Persie talking about cutting out friends. Again, went global, thousands of views right across the world. But Rio Ferdinand also spoke about the importance of cutting out people that weren't good for him at the time. Have a listen. Probably one of the hardest things to kind of dissect when you're in the midst of a career. All of a sudden your life goes from being normal paced to being a whirlwind of invitations, people of the opposite sex. Every door you go to is open for you. Yeah. And every, everything becomes easier in life. And so there isn't anyone really selling you no. And to sit and actually take that all in when it's going so fast is very difficult. It's like being in a washing machine and try and actually dissect the, the colours from the whites while the washing machine's on. Everyone in, in their life, there's a moment where you, there's a decision to be made. And my moment came, so yeah, like you say, Leeds and West Ham, especially the early, part, early parts of Leeds, I overindulged in the nightlife, all the finer things that come with being a professional footballer. And the Euros came about. Kevin Keegan was manager, and I didn't get picked. I went away that summer, holiday, and I just vow, vowed, like, this isn't happening again. And I, I, I trained that summer. Um, it's like that's when I first ever started training in the summer before I went back to pre-season. So I was training probably for two weeks before that on my own. So when I got back into training, I was fitter than everyone else. So I, all of a sudden, straight away, the manager's going, oh, 
that November, I got a move to Leeds after being left out of the team, broke the British transfer record, and then it just con continued going, escalating from there. So it's having that moment where you go, right. So if you're someone that listens to this podcast, Damien, and assumes that successful people already have all the answers, that clip from Rio Ferdinand shows you that just like all of us, whatever walk of life, whatever we're doing, you're working it out as you go along. Yeah, very much. And I think what was really fascinating in this theme of people having to make decisions and sharing some of their decision criteria with us. So we heard Robin, like you mentioned, and Rio there talking about this idea that once you get to a certain level, it's not just about talent then, it's about the decisions you're making away from the training ground, who you circulate with, who you hang around with, you know, what you say yes to are all really powerful factors. And what's interesting about them is they're prepared to acknowledge they made mistakes before they corrected it, before it became terminal for them. I think that's one of the most important points, actually, is that one of the things that we've realised through recording all of these is that every single person we've spoken to, they're all very different, they've achieved very different things, but they all have a really comfortable relationship with failure, where they're almost seeking failure, where being in that tiny zone where you're almost certainly going to fail is the only way they've actually achieved everything they have. And they're totally and utterly comfortable with messing it up. Yeah. And I remember many years ago hearing Sir Richard Branson talk about this. And it's a very American phrase that there's no failure, there's only feedback. And it's easy to misinterpret that and assume that people are deluded in it. But it's not the fact that they deny the failure. It's the fact that they are prepared to go and excavate the failures and work out why it happened, how it happened. And just as importantly, how they stop it happening again. So therefore, they don't regard it as terminal. They regard it as just a learning lesson that makes them smarter and better. Okay, right, Damien, uh, I'm enjoying this. What should we do next? Uh, what about talk about our visit to go and visit Mauricio Pochettino? Yes. Now, this I like because was he the only person whose house we went to? I think he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I, 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 was, uh, I was telling my wife after I'd come back that I don't think I've ever been to a house where it's taken me two minutes to walk up a driveway. <laughs> it's brilliant. What, um, what really sort of got me was that while we were getting ready to record the podcast, he wasn't just disappeared off in another part of his house and then, you know, one of his assistants or someone comes and gets you. He was straight in there, wasn't he? Right, sit down. And I noticed, you know, as, as we spoke in the podcast, he, and he spoke about, I like to touch my players, shake their hands, hold them and feel them. When we walked in, he kind of put, and I've obviously met him a few times, but he put his arm around me for an uncomfortably long amount of time. I mean, it, it wasn't uncomfortable, but, you know, because we're quite reserved and British, I'm thinking, oh, his arm has been on me for at least a minute. And it's only then when the podcast starts and he starts talking about, oh, I read the energy from someone by being connected to them, that that kind of made sense. I thought he was so spiritual. Yeah, it did. I think I, I, I thought there was something really quite quite humbling about being in his company, you know, just how open um, and, and, and how welcoming he was. I think there's something quite significant when somebody lets you over the threshold of their own personal space. And I think the fact that he did so, so willingly, speaks an awful lot about about the person that he is. It was a really interesting podcast. What clip have you picked? I wanted to pick the one where he speaks around trust because I think that this is one of those unspoken factors that a team is not somebody that works together. A team is is a group of people that trust each other. And this was a realisation that Mauricio spoke a lot about. It's so simple because the player want to play and the player want to be the best on the, on the, on the beach. 
all they, they need uh, to feel the confidence and need to feel the trust in the people that is close to you. And when the player understand that you are working for them, it's not about philosophy to play 1-4-4-2 or 1-4-3-3 or play uh, more defensive in a counter-attack or dominate the game. It's, it's about that they feel that you want the best for them. It's good this, because no matter how good you are, and I know we've both been watching the Michael Jordan documentary, One Last Dance, it doesn't matter how good you are, you have to trust the people around you. And even in that documentary, they say that he became the great player he is when he learned that the other people are there to help him win. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is one of those factors that trust is, it's almost an intangible, but you know when it's not there. It's probably more evident when it's not present. So I've met lots of elite uh, coaches that will express sometimes their frustration that they say we'll do team meetings and nobody speaks or, you know, we'll have suggestion schemes and nobody offers anything. And my answer to those leaders are, you are, the silence is feedback to you. The silence should be deafening you. If people are not speaking up, it's either that they don't feel safe to speak up or they don't trust you, that you'll deal with their questions in a discreet, sensitive manner. So trust is one of those factors that's often more relevant when it's not there. So those like uh, Pochettino that focus on it, or like Michael Jordan in the documentary, are the ones that seem to be tapping into that secret source. And do you think that managers and leaders who don't trust the people around them, those kind of autonomous figures that rule the roost and control every single tiny part of a team or an organisation, are kind of on the way out? That is the old school way of running a team and being successful. These days it's about taking people along for the ride. Yeah, very much. I think, especially for like in the Premier League managers that we've met, I just think that that the nature of the industry means it's too big for anyone to be an autocrat in that particular context. But I think this new breed of managers are recognising that their job is to create leaders, whether this is leaders in the dressing room or leaders amongst their own backroom staff. That's just as important in terms of developing and sustaining winning cultures. Now, if you haven't listened to the uh, episode, get on it, because Maurizio spoke about all kinds of great things. He spoke about the importance of a strong team as well as the the importance of trust. And uh, I now want to play a clip from Stephen Bartlett, who is a guy who a few years ago was stealing frozen pizzas just to feed himself. And now he's set up Social Chain, which is worth hundreds of millions of pounds. He has his own brilliant podcast. He's an amazing entrepreneur, full of energy, full of belief and confidence and I was desperate to get him on the podcast I was delighted when he said yes and this is what he had to say about the importance of building a strong team probably the most important thing about working with social chain is and this is what I hear the manager say oh they're a real social chain person and what they mean by that is like they're a nice human being they're not manipulative they're not in it for themselves they're a kind nice human being and it doesn't take long in an environment of nice human beings where the nice human beings are doing the hiring for someone to stand out as not a nice human being i hate everything and i will not allow anything which is like if you put a post-it note on the fridge saying who stole my milk or if you post into a group chat social chain saying who's uh taken my pencil this is like this is my kryptonite and everybody knows this so there's none of that some, it's the reframing of what that moment was. You know, someone took your pencil because they were doing work for the company, right? They're not selling it on eBay or trying to stab your family with it. You know, so 
that kind of compassion and that empathy and that kindness is the foundation of this environment. And then from that, if it's a nice place to be, you can trust people and you don't need to give them a shit if they're 10 minutes late for work or an hour late for work. You can trust because you know that they'll, they'll, they like being here. And that's kind of the, the, the way that I made it, probably because I couldn't work anywhere. And so obviously when I'm constructing a business, it's I need to build somewhere where Steve Bartlett would work. You can't tell anybody to work hard. That doesn't seem like a, a good approach to take, but the, there's a culture of um, trust and, and hard work and getting the work done. I really enjoyed hearing from him about building cultures because you know I've had a go doing that myself in my own business and it's taken a long time and it's not an easy thing to get right. And what I've really liked about spending time with Stephen is the, the absolute rock-solid belief in what he's doing. And I think that positive people whether you like what they're doing or not if they believe in it i think that can be so encouraging and empowering and i think people want to go along for the ride don't they with 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 positive with positive people oh massively i think in this sort of lockdown period that we're going through now i think we'll start to see the benefits of people that have that kind of optimism now i'm often conscious when people talk about positivity it's it's an easy label to give people that's an easy to sort of mock and and uh, and laugh at the idea that everything is amazing but i think optimism which is what you're describing and what stephen embodied is this idea that knowing that you know what shit does happen but it will get better i think you know we will come through this stronger and um and more resourceful for it and i think there was a study done at cambridge university in the early 90s jake where they found that you can predict the length and depth of a recession simply by tracking the amount of times we're told by the media that we're in a recession. And I think that idea of being able to create your own narrative of saying, we'll get better, we're going to come through this, things will uh, things will improve, is infectious. People do want to be around that. Interesting. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I was fascinated by Stephen's own story as a, as a kid growing up in Plymouth. You know, he spoke to us about his mum being a serial um, a serial entrepreneur that kept trying and failing and led the family to become bankrupt. 
And then he spoke about his own struggles with informal education. And this is a guy that's obviously, as we found, incredibly intelligent. So my question to him was uh, a, a take on the, not how clever are you, but how are you clever? I thought the answer that he gave us was intriguing. How am I clever? Hard question. Not good at math, not good at English, not really good at anything as it relates to school. My grades were so bad that I forged the, the grade certificate. So that's probably the, f- <laughs> my dad's just found that out. But the, the certificate I gave him was forged wow. because my brothers are all straight A. So I, I yep. felt bad. I think I have always believed that I could. And that as a force for learning new things and making yourself seem smart is remarkable. That as a force for achieving things and putting yourselves in situations that you're not qualified to be in is unbelievable. So if there was one thing I'd say, it's that I always believed I could, even when there was no reason for me to believe such a thing. That is probably my favourite clip of the whole series. Just that line, I always believed I could. Because I think that, like, even if you can't, right, what is the point thinking that? Like, life is hard enough, okay? And sometimes I look at my kids and I think, oh, you know, life is there to kick you in the balls at every touch and turn, right? So why would you do that to yourself? You might as well think, do you know what? I'm brilliant. I'm amazing. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to live an amazing life. I'm going to set up my own business. I'm going to do everything I really want to do because I cannot see one tiny benefit. And you might correct me here, Damien. I can't see one tiny benefit of thinking anything other than that. Well, the Australian cricket team in the 1990s used to talk about mental disintegration of their opponents and they'd sort of speed the process by sledging anyone they were coming up against and telling them how useless they were and things like that. And they saw it as a badge of honour. But I think your point's right. How often do we sledge ourselves by talking ourselves down before we even set off? So I think sometimes being realistic um, can be hugely advantageous, but that's where I think that optimism of being able to, you know, face reality, but then work, but then assume that things will get better is hugely powerful, which is what you're describing, that infectious nature of viewing the world. It reminds me of that lovely quote, Damien, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. 100%. That's the words of Henry Ford. Ah, I love it. Right. Um, some people had some really good little snippets of advice for us. If you get a chance, please listen to the Tracy Neville podcast. Timekeeping was one of her things, but she was just so interesting, so honest, and she opened up to us um, in a way that really made the podcast special. Um, Holly Tucker also joined us as well. Now, Holly set up not on the highstreet.com. You've probably bought something from there. Most people have. And um, <laughs> she came out with uh, quite a quote. Have a listen. So my funny motto in life is it's better to have a hole than an arsehole, which basically means that when you're an entrepreneur in a small business, you just can't handle it anymore. So you're just going to hire someone. And I'm telling you now, however big your business is, the bigger the business and the higher that person is up there, get the wrong person and it will take your business back one year. Now, the challenge, of course, is knowing whether they're the right or the wrong person, Damien. Yeah, but I think, again, this is a big theme that's come through all of, um, especially our leaders on this on, on this series, has been the role of what we call cultural architects. These are the leaders without title, people that just identify with what you're trying to do and support you in your quest to achieve it. And I think Holly spoke about that in that great line, it's better to have a, a hole than an arsehole, is that you don't want 
a cultural assassin, somebody that's just undermining things behind you. It's better to have a gap uh, if you can't have an architect. And there was also lots of advice from, from all of our guests about how you create a team with the right people around you. And one of the things that people often do, Damien, is they, they put little tripwires in and then they see how people react to those tripwires before they've even been offered a job, before they're even part of the team. And the reaction to the problem tells them an awful lot more than just sitting in an interview and asking a, a mundane question, which, which everyone's been through. Yeah, I love the idea of a tripwire. Um, like one of my favourite ones was uh, Walt Disney used to take uh, any aspiring a uh, new member of his team for uh, for a meal. And he used to really watch closely whether they put salt and pepper on it before they tasted it. And if they did, they weren't getting the job, however impressive they were at the interview, because he saw that as a sign of being close-minded, that you weren't even prepared to try the food before you just went into your old habits of flavouring it. And I think you can see that this idea of just setting people up to find out what they're going to behave like when nobody is watching is, uh, is, is, is incredibly powerful. Before we listen to our last couple of clips, they're on the subject of trauma creating triumph. And this is something that is discussed and analysed and researched a great deal, isn't it? Yeah, this has been, um, there was a fascinating study done uh, by UK Sport on this topic about whether their high performers had, had, had suffered a trauma. And there was a high percentage of elite performers that had had some kind of trauma, whether it was a parent separating, a death in a family. And again, this was a really interesting thing to explore with our guests of how they had dealt with life-changing events and been able to overcome it. Okay, let's have a listen to Dylan Hartley and Kelly Holmes on exactly that topic. I had this conversation with my wife the other day. I was like, so when you have kids, you want them to have a really nice world. But I was thinking, because I talk about my career and why I think it's kind of forged me who I am, it's because I'd struggle. You know, I didn't have money at a young age, you know, when my academy counterparts did. So I found a way to make money and I found a way to train harder, to earn more. And that's it. I was thinking my daughter, and I've got uh, another one on the way. How do you create struggle for your kids without making them struggle? So I think then I took that into secondary school where I just felt useless all the time. I was outside the classroom. I felt like I'm just a failure. No one give a shit because I was just like, you know, just the girl with no name until athletics took its hold you know and then suddenly I'm winning everything you know my PE teacher's saying like if you're going to be good if you want to be good you've got to start focusing and believing you can be good because you're better than all of these at this you might be outside the classroom and you know, you've got to sort that out but you're better than everybody here and I was just like oh my god somebody's actually told me I can be good this is one of the things that we, we enjoyed talking about on the podcast, Damien, wasn't it? Fault versus responsibility. You know, it's not necessarily the fault of Kelly Holmes or Dylan Hartley or anyone listening to this, the kinds of things that they've been through. No matter how harrowing and difficult they are, it's still their responsibility to deal with those things, turn them around and make them a success. I've lost count of the number of times I've had a conversation with someone and they said, yeah, but I can't achieve what I really want because this happened. Well, that wasn't your fault, but it's still your responsibility to do with your life what you really want. Yeah, and again, I think just the ability to cut through that noise and, and hold their hands up was something that that was a theme with pretty much all of them. And again, I think it comes back to 
the Robin Van Persie clip we listened to right at the start in terms of what he was trying to tell his son when we asked why did it resonate. I think it was those those words that you've described, fault versus responsibility. It's a, it, it's a hallmark of all these elite performers we've been lucky enough to chat with. And as hard as it is, you know, Dylan made the point that actually he wouldn't change it because it made him the person that he was. And I think that there is a... There's a lot to say for that, actually. Yeah, very much. I mean, his story was fascinating, wasn't it, when he spoke about coming over to England away from his parents at 15 and forging a life for himself here where he would only phone them once a week because of uh, telephone connections and things like that. And this was a guy that learned in possibly one of the most brutal ways about that distinction between fault and responsibility. And I know he's got a reputation for his two years' worth of uh, suspensions that he accused during his playing. But when we spoke to him, you could really understand why he he had ultimately prevailed in his career. Oh, it's been so good just to sit and, um, and look back on the things we've done. I mean, it's a reminder of all the very, very different, varied conversations that we had, but ultimately all of them with a very similar message. I think that's what was really interesting. Yeah, I think that when we've been reflecting on it after each of the discussions, I think we've started to spot that there are a series of, of, of common themes that come across, this idea of being clear about your behaviours, the emotional intelligence, this distinction between fault and responsibility, the power of belief and trust. It's been really, really eye-opening and, um, and a real privilege that I think somebody was asking me the question, what I found around it, um, and I think, what really summed it up for me was how normal all these elite performers were. And I think that's the final secret ingredient of them, that they don't get carried away with the outcome of what they've achieved. They're able to articulate their achievements and understand it and be able to share that with us. And what I didn't want people to do was listen to the podcast and just feel like it was us celebrating greatness, right? Because these people have had amazing careers. They've been lauded and celebrated for many years. There's no point in us doing more of that. I wanted anyone, regardless of job, um, status, age, ability, to listen to it and to feel inspired by it. And actually, one of the biggest um, positives for me is the number of messages I've had coming through on either Instagram or Twitter, you know, direct messages and, and, and mentions, just telling me that I listened to this or that episode and it's fundamentally changed the way that I do things and I finally decided to go and achieve something I've always wanted to do. And that is the single most pleasing thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's humbling in the extreme that people have been generous enough to give us an hour of their time every week. But then, like you say, the reason we both did this was we wanted to feel that it could make a difference for people that were going to listen. So if people are doing that, that's a, that's a real delight. Yeah. Um, I suppose the most important question of all, will you come back for series two? <laughs> I'd love to. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> That's a relief because we've already got uh, some big names <laughs> lined up for it. Um, listen, mate, it's it's so good for me to sit and do this alongside you. I was so desperate to make sure that there was someone who, you know, has spent their life studying, researching and learning everything there is to know about elite performers and sporting cultures. And I think you've brought so much to the podcast. So on a personal note, thank you so much for agreeing to be involved. Oh, no. Well, thank you, Jake. And thank you for asking me. It's been it's been a real uh, treat to work with you. And, and uh, I'm really grateful for your faith and trust as well. Good man. 
I just want to shout out um, all of the team at Wyman U who helped to create the podcast. Everyone at Rethink Audio who've worked so hard to get it going. Matt Hill, who's been really helpful and brilliant as well. Um, obviously, all of our guests and everyone that's listened and taken the time to share their thoughts with us. It has been um, greater than we could have ever imagined this first series. And as we both said, we're going to do it again. Series two is on its way. We've got some great names lined up and we look forward to you joining us for that as well. But from um, all of us on the High Performance Podcast, we are officially signing off from series one. We'll see you very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.